Hello, and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts. We're back after a couple-week break. I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and uh, lovingly welcoming back one of our other hosts. Jeremy, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. Coming, coming at you all the way from sunny Los Angeles. Moving on to bigger and better things out west. I don't blame you. You gotta, you gotta do what makes you happy. Yes, making video games makes me happy. Well, and speaking of making happy or not making happy, today's uh, today's topic is <laughs> um, Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier. <laughs> boy, oh boy! the The only thing worse than watching that movie is watching that movie in the brief downtime that I got at my job because I forgot to watch it over the weekend. <laughs> it's it's a rough movie. I mean, and there's bad movies out there, but it's almost hard to even call this a bad movie. Yeah, like the I forget was it the the first one that was just real boring and had all those like long panning shots of models that were like, all right, that's fine. It's like that. That was bad in a in its own special way, but this one was just, ugh! It just felt like such bad, like community theater version of Star Trek. No, you're right. The first one had the first one was like a long episode, so it was punctuated by the, the lot, lots of music and, hey, we have a Star Trek film. We got a movie budget. Let's show the ship for thirty hours at, or thirty minutes at a time, and then you've got Star Trek Five where. I don't even know. I mean, is Shatner's directorial debut for the movies? Because Nimoy did three and four. Yeah, the so three and four. Shatner had to have a chance. <clears throat> well, and clearly, it it was also a little bit of his writing because this this movie is plagued by sweaty dad jokes. Like, there's so many aggressive little attempts at humor that falls so flat just over and over and over again yeah and i know that people we've even talked on this podcast how there's like charming moments of star trek 5 like Derek brings up the the camp scene and the which it's charming it's it's charming or it would be if the drunk acting wasn't so heavy-handed it's like they're trying to be like W.C. Fields, but coming off like children pretending to be drunk. It's like everything is so like, oh, I took two drinks of whiskey and now I'm all sloshing around. It's like, come on, Bones can handle his booze better than that. I mean, seriously, because even in the show, they, they drink actual alcohol all the time. And yeah. so it's not like they're new to it. And even, but even, okay, we got we better start back at the beginning. Because even the beginning of the movie just, it it's almost... Like an insult because you know how the Enterprise is like all broken and busted up. It's like shit yeah. doesn't work, doors don't work, communications don't work. But at the end of Star Trek Four, <laughs> you know they're already using the new Enterprise and they're going in the warp and everything's fine. Yeah, like what did they forget? <laughs> it's like did he didn't like how Nimoy skipped ahead and he wanted to have a thing where Scotty was fixing something. I don't know, <clears throat> but that's but that's not even the beginning. The beginning is. Nimbus 3, which is a a planet we don't know and and people we don't care about, and we just see some guy with, like, crazy horse gums just kind of pointing a gun at another guy who turns out to be a laughing Vulcan. And that's the cold open of this movie that was in theaters. Like, that was the least interesting five minutes of anything. It's like, that's your big reveal is that there's a Vulcan in a Star Trek movie? It's like, yeah, okay, great. No, that's a great point because nobody knows what the hell's going on with this whole planet yet. Nobody knows 
if we don't know why we're supposed to care about a character, then we're not going to care about the character. And yeah. you have no idea so is, what's going on. So is this the first um, first neutral zone reference? Like, is this where we are introduced to the concept of the neutral zone? I mean, I know they talk about the neutral zone in Wrath of Khan because they're talking about the Kobayashi Maru straying into the neutral zone during the test. But it's it's oh, really okay. the first time of the movies that they show that there's like stuff happening in the neutral zone. Because they kept talking in the in the past like it was a place that nobody was supposed to go, and now there's a planet of intergalactic peace that is like a garbage world. It's like it's like Arrakis, Dune. It's just desert. Yeah, it's like Tatooine, and like everything is Mos Eisley because it's just like oh, all kinds of aliens just wound up here. Well, and you can definitely tell they're trying to get that Mos Eisley feel from A New Hope. Oh yeah, they're. Uh, they are thirsty for that that Moss Eisley feel. It's like everything is just panning shots in dusty bars. Yeah, it's just everything is Tatooine. Which might make sense if it came out like a year after Star Wars. But right. it didn't. I mean, <laughs> it, it was, what, 10 years after Star Wars. Yeah, it, the same year as uh, Next Generation started. And that's amazing if you think about it, because I know we've all kind of talked about the first seasons of Next Generation are pretty rough. But they're not, yeah. you know, Final Frontier is just... And I don't know, okay, it's a technically bad movie because bad stuff happens. The plot makes no sense. The story is weird. The, the writing is bad. But the movie's also just... It's the bad kind of boring where yeah. even when I watch like a Rift Tracks version or some of the some of the versions where people are making fun of it as they watch it. So yeah, the riffing versions. Even the riffers are like, man, it's just hard to make fun of this movie just because nothing's happening. Well, and it doesn't take itself seriously, which is kind of the insulting thing. Where it's like, <clears throat> why did you bother to make this movie if you were just going to screw off? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is... They open up, and again, when you open up with characters that, like I mentioned earlier, you, that you don't know and you don't know why you're supposed to care about them on Nimbus, and you kind of have the bonding moments of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, which is fine. I mean, I get it. Boy, the effects when he falls off that mountain and he goes to catch him, that is that was rough. Like, that was some, some bad green screen even for 1989. Well, and that's that brings up a good point of, you know, Kirk is a captain in Starfleet, right? You know, even in today's world, athletes have, like, things in their contracts where they're not allowed to ride motorcycles or whatever the jazz. You, you tell me Starfleet yeah. is just going to let one of their lead captains just climb up a mountain with no, with nothing, no kind of safety restraints of any kind? Yeah, at least Picard had fusing pitons when he would do climbing on various missions. Yeah, I mean, if Spock's not there, then Kirk's dead, right? Yeah, Kirk should be dead. So it's a good thing Spock has his rocket boots, which, okay, I mean, it's the future. <laughs> so so everybody's got to have their rocket boots. Well, also, and and this is a stupid, overly technical complaint, but, you know, it's Star Trek, so we're allowed those. He flies down to catch him, uh, but then is able to arrest his momentum so that he stops falling. But then you see him slowly angle his feet down. So if those boots are providing propulsion from the sole of the foot, 
then he there's no way he would have been able to arrest his momentum unless his feet were facing down when he caught him. But clearly he like caught him and somehow stopped. Yeah, because he held him in the air for a little bit. For like, for like yeah, three, and then kind three of or five seconds. Yeah, down. which, again, it's just one of those mistakes that Star Trek movies typically tend to avoid. Yeah. Is, you know, that's the big thing, and we we talk about this even when we're talking about Discovery. Star Trek fans have always, always been like uh, passionate about continuity and timelines and where things fit in play, like fit in. And that's the problem with this movie is it feels just so, everything feels so out of character. Like it doesn't belong in a Star Trek movie. Yeah. And you almost don't, can't tell if, if they're purposely trying to take a break from how serious two, three, and four were. Well, four was serious in the sense about the environmentalism and all that. Like the overall plot of four was pretty serious, but it had a lot of goofy moments. Yeah. Four, four, I feel like had a lot of fun with it. I mean, the the whole whale thing and time travel like there was so much of it that was just kind of a goof and maybe that's why five feels like such a bad movie because four gets the goofiness right and does it properly whereas star trek five just does it so poorly i mean even even the three ambassadors are just weird i mean on nimbus three and i'm like who are these people like what you know, they've been talking about diplomacy for two movie two movies now between three and four. What the hell's going on with this planet of intergalactic peace? And but I don't, I don't know. Well, and that was like when they introduced the concept of Nimbus three and kind of went into it like that would be a great next gen episode to to really explore a planet that was supposed to be a joint diplomatic effort between the Klingons, the Romulans and the Federation, but because of like conflicts or whatever just ended up being this mishmash that was, was largely abandoned by all three, uh, you know, uh, kingdoms or whatever you call it, you know, factions, um, like that, that could totally be an interesting setting, but the way that they did it, where it was just like, you know, all the, Federation went here, dropped some settlers, but the settlers sucked and they had no plan to actually do anything with them. So they just said, you know, fuck it and left. And like this, like what, what Federation would do that? Well, and if you think about it, like they even, they even have horses on this planet. So the Federation imported stuff. That horse was blue though, wasn't it? Was it? Like that was was some kind of, yeah, the one that uh, Spock nerve pinched that fell down. It was like like a royal blue, like very much not a horse color. Well, it's a good thing whatever it is evolved on another world completely like very similar to our horses at least. So yeah, that, that's important. Also, Spock can nerve pinch a horse. Yeah, we're going to have to really start talking about his strength and the fact that they don't use it enough. Yeah, I mean, Vulcans in general, they definitely have a fluctuating strength that's that's something I was thinking about. I tweeted the other day that like when, when data in next generation is always saying like, I wish I could be more human. You'd think Kling or Worf would be like, why don't you want to be Klingon? We're, we're strong. We're honorable, blah, blah, blah. It seems like every other instance he's trying to sell that it's better to be a Klingon, except when Data's like, I wish I could be human. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And again, you have the Klingon, you have the, what's his name? General Cord, I think it is. Yeah, which again is is like the the D story. Like they're trying to pack so many things into this. You have 
you have the political, you know, climate of Nimbus three, which is kind of just dropped and then abandoned. You have this concept of Cord being the fallen Klingon general, which uh, Kirk mentions early on, but then kind of loses any impact on the plot until the very end. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. This movie's got stuff happening, but... Stuff happening, just, like, none of it gets the attention it deserves or that, yeah, it's just, like, plot threads on plot threads on plot threads, yet they spend, like, 15 minutes singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat, which, like, you couldn't license anything, you know? Well, that, but also, I mean, even, for example, the the whole concept of stuff happens, but it's meaningless, is... Remember the Klingon bird of prey destroys the old Earth satellite, what, Pioneer 10, I think it was? Yeah. I mean, and the Klingons are like, oh, you know, we're tired of fighting things that don't fight back. I'm like, what? What, is this, what does this have to do with anything when we've just had movies talking about the Klingons and Federation are like on the brink of war? Right. Like the primary threat of the movie is just some Klingon that's bored and wandering around. Yeah. And I mean, that's just so bizarre lazy. it's lazy yeah it's lazy and i think star trek fans are kind of that group of fans that we've had bad writing and we've had goofy characters or weird plots but one thing i think star trek fans have universally hated is lazy plots well and especially with the movies like you can you can have a blow-off episode of of any of the shows like spend it in the holodeck screw around we want to see slice of life in the future like that's totally fine we can do that but the movies have to be something else the movies are supposed to be more they have like million dollar budgets and and year-long development cycles it's like don't don't make this crap yeah and that's the problem is it is just bad and most of the stuff doesn't connect to each other because there's like all this random crap happening and it's what you mentioned a few minutes ago and i think that's story aside or um excuse me bad acting and bad plot or bad story or um not story uh (sighs) direction yeah like bad direction and terrible dialogue aside when the story doesn't make sense and people can't relate to it they're not going to want to watch the movie and no there's nothing in this movie that feels like star trek other than the fact that it's called star trek 5 the final frontier yeah and so and two things happen on on Nimbus 3 that I have huge problems with that um so so first as far as things not feeling like Star Trek there's a commercial on the TV in the bar uh where they first encounter Soy what's his name Soylent <laughs> Sobek is it Sobek I think it's Sobek yeah Yeah um there's a commercial on a TV that says uh Finance it today through Federation Financial. It's like, isn't isn't one of the core defining factors of Star Trek that there's no money? Yeah, there's no money because that's the pursuit of making yourself better or whatever. Yeah. Yet, apparently on Nimbus 3, the Federation has a bank. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's there's that, which is just like stupid and needless and like... It's it's like a little just touch point that shows how little they knew their own world. But then the other thing was Uhura's fan dance on the hill to distract those guards. That was Yeah. I mean, I that's that's a callback to the original series, right? 
I think it is, but it hmm. just it doesn't play well in the movie. Well, no, I mean she's got to be what in her like late fifties at this point. Yeah, and there's nothing. And like, there's nothing wrong with saying that. It's not an insult. It's yeah. It's like I love Nich- what Nichelle Nichols, yeah, Nichelle Nichols, whatever. Um, she's a great actress and and good at what she does, but to to have her be in that position where she's naked in the desert. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not ridiculous because she's old. It's ridiculous that it's like undignified. Well, that's the problem. It's undignified and it's a, it's just a bad solution that you would think 30 year veterans of Starfleet would not come up with. Right. I mean, it's like so much with the rest of this movie, it just feels sweaty and desperate and like, I don't know. Every everything feels. I mean, and it was 1989, so I I assume cocaine is involved in in a lot of this decision making. But it just feels like so much like a first thought, best thought. It's just like, let's do it. That that's fine. It's like, and he falls off the cliff. That's great. Let's shoot it today. It's just like everything is so like like aggressive and desperate, but but totally hollow. Well, and you know, like the, even the Yahura scene that. Did they was that intended the way it was? I mean, was was Kirk really formulating a direction where he's like, "How are we going to distract these hostage takers? I know what we're going to do. I'm going to make one of my senior officers dance in the desert." Right after her long career of of being one of the most like advanced communications officers, we're just going to have her strip nude and dance for a bunch of like weird sand people. And and I had the captions on. Uh, it, those guys are just yelling like "woman, it woman," like "me, me want woman." Rah. It's like, were there no female colonists or are these cavemen? It's just like, what are you thinking with this? Well, and that's a good point. And that's we should talk about the people of this planet. Is who are they? Are they the former Federation settlers? I mean, what are are they? Another alien race that's native to the planet? I mean. Are they just vagrants that are in the neutral zone? Because, again, Star Trek, the show and the movies have established that the neutral zone is supposed to be like a no-go. Yeah. Well, and they they just describe them as, like, we sent colonists, but they were the the worst people in the galaxy. It's like, why did just leave them wherever they were? Like, what are you doing? Uh, Yeah, have you you read the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide books? Yeah. Yeah, I I would think it would be like those the people on that uh, the colony ship that ends up becoming Earth, where there there are all these people with these possession or um, professions that shouldn't exist, like telephone polisher and stuff like that, where they're just like the dregs of humanity that just got shot into space for no reason. It's like it should be those people. It should just be a bunch of losers. Kind of like the Red Dwarf TV show where the main character is like a what a, a soup repair technician or something for a vending machine. Yeah. And that's exactly it. I mean, these colonists, and they immediately jump on board with Cybok. The name, I still laugh. I mean, Cybok, I guess it's, if we put a K in there, it's Vulcan, right? Also, if, you know, the one thing that could have redeemed this movie, if that had actually been Sean Connery, clearly they desperately wanted it to be Sean Connery, but they couldn't get him. I'm sure Sean Connery, if he even offered the role, probably took one look at the script for five minutes and said, no, this is stupid. Oh, no, I looked it up. He was offered the role, but he was doing Indiana Jones. <laughs> I bet he regrets nothing. No. No, I don't think he would, no. Until he did uh, that movie with the... Oh, uh, cruel, not Cruel Intentions. What's that movie called? Zardoz. The one... Well, 
he probably regrets Zardoz. No, I was thinking the one where the the sexy lady uh, goes through all the lasers. Uh, never mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm racking my brain there, buddy. But anyways, back to Star Trek V. <laughs> so, I'm trying to think. I'm, would Sean Connery have made the movie better? I mean, I guess a little bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the movie still would have been bad. I mean, not much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's just... Again, and I think that's just... There are bad Star Trek films, don't get me wrong. I mean, Into Darkness is kind of weak, and Star Trek One is kind of boring. And Nemesis just feels like a two-and-a-half-hour space battle, even though the movie's only 90 minutes long. Yeah. It... Entrapment is the movie I was thinking Oh, Entrapment. Of. I gotcha, I gotcha. <laughs> oh, with Catherine Zeta-Jones. That's right. Um, yeah. But, again, this movie is not just necessarily bad. It's just so... It like I said, it doesn't feel like a Star Trek movie, and I think that's one of the well, worst insults you yeah. can give a Star Trek movie is saying it doesn't feel like Star Trek. It's like the Abrams movies, and people are like this feels like Star Wars. Well, and the thing that makes it not a fun bad movie in the way that bad movies can be fun is that the movie clearly thinks it's nailing it, and the movie is constantly like taking victory laps at its own awesomeness because like all of the characters are like. Oh, that was like like they act they actively put in pauses for all of the laughter that they expect to to land with these terrible terrible jokes. It's like um and there's even a point at I mean so it starts off on such a bad note cuz Bones when he's talking to himself as he's grumbling at Kirk climbing the mountain and looking through those cyber binoculars stares directly into the camera and basically says like man, I just, I can't deal with this stuff. And it's like, you're like, how unbelievably unprofessional can you get with your direction where one of your characters is just talking to themselves by staring down the barrel of the camera? It's just such a, like, Shatner did not know what he was doing at all. Well, I'm reading one of the behind the scenes tid or like uh, pieces of information for the movie. And I, just because uh-huh. you and I were talking about it. So the whole dancing scene with Uhura, apparently yeah. it was a screenwriter, David Lowry, that proposed it as a joke and the producers took it and ran with it whoops i bet that guy feels bad probably no 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 no, no, no. also i did not know that uhura and scotty were an item that was an interesting uh thing at the beginning of the movie yes and again it was one of those are they just giving people things to say and do now just just because yeah it's like i mean there there are things like that that happen in, in movies where it's like fan service for people who ship characters. But I, I didn't think that that was even like in the cards. Like I thought maybe Uhura and Kirk had a thing at some point. Because aren't they like I still haven't watched the original series. So I don't I'm kind of talking out of my ass. But weren't they like the first interracial kiss on TV? Well, they were for American TV. They were. But the, it was like an alien life form forced them to do it. So oh, they didn't. They never okay. really had a thing. They always had, a, at least on the original series, they always kind of had a undertone of flirtiness. But, oh, but, did they? but I think okay. it's because so it's not like out of left field. Yeah, not not entirely out of left field. But I think it's because Nichelle Nichols is a gorgeous looking woman, and yeah, Shatner, Shatner, and but again, and that's circle back to this movie. Even our even the normal characters don't feel like themselves. They feel like character. You are you use this word. They feel like caricatures of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, everything 
it it feels like someone i mean it feels like fan fiction it yeah it all just feels like whatever the first draft of someone writing a spec script to try and get a real staff job writing for star trek would put together it's like everything exaggerates the character's qualities way over the top but i mean that's I mean, it's just Shatner. It's just like Shatner rubbed his Shatnerness all over this movie, and like everything is just a little bit too much to the point where it's uncomfortable. Well, and if you go back to nineteen eighty nine, without having any real depth, the the movie season of nineteen eighty nine, you have the first Batman, you have Indiana Jones: Last Crusade, you have Lethal Weapon two, Ghostbusters two, and then Star Trek five. It's so it's yeah. like you have six or seven movies coming out at the same time. And the only one that doesn't become a legend of a movie is Star Trek V. Well, I mean, there were a lot of movies that came out that year that that aren't legends. Well, no, that's but true, the, but... The only big franchise that... Yeah. Yeah, it just it just feels like such a half-assed movie that it... I don't know. It just, like, were they... Did they need to... Were they in on contract and they're just like, whatever, Shatner's going to do it. We told him he could do it. Let him do it. And then this is just what came out and it's just like... Ugh. Well, and I'll give Shatner some credit because the stuff I was reading during my research for all this was a lot of the cast and crew actually said that Shatner, as a director, was a pretty decent human being. Like, he he kept the set, you know, kind of calm and relaxed, even though the movie crew, the movie producers were all screaming about money and over budget and all this stuff. And they said Shatner was able to kind of block that out and take care of the people. Even George Takei said that. And, you know, that was supposed to be during the height of their quote-unquote rivalry or whatever. Yeah, but like being being a good director and being a good director are very different things. It's like you can you can be a great boss, but if you don't deliver to your client, then you're not a very good boss, even if your employees like you. Well, and I think that's one of the good points that we've brought up about the original Star Wars trilogy is Lucas created the overall universe, but you know Star Trek's you know, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi had different directors, and yeah. they the directors did the technical work and implemented Lucas's overall story idea. In this case, you have a story by William Shatner directed by William Shatner. And I think it's one of those cases where this is is their episode one, where it's just like, well, now everybody thinks Shatner's a genius. So let's see what he does. It's just like with the Phantom Menace where it's just like, all right, we've been waiting to see what uh, Lucas can do. Let him go. It's like, Oh, this is, this is it. Yeah, I mean, and that's the problem is, again, it feels like when you say the the prequel trilogy, it almost feels like people were scared to tell him, no, this is a bad idea. Yeah. Because he is Bill Shatner, and he was in the mid-80s, you know, with all the great Star Trek stuff that was happening. Rightfully, I understand him having a lot of influence. I'm not complaining about that. It's just, man, you always need that person on your team that's willing to tell you no. Yeah. And that obviously does not happen during the creation of this movie. Well, in what year was Shatner's like spoken word album? <laughs> I don't know if it was 89, but I got to look that up now. Yeah, I'm looking it up. Let's see. He, uh, he did the video where he sang Rocket Man in 1978. So that's uh, a little further along. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I kept feeling glimpses of this movie from, you know, the, the Star Trek episode of uh, Futurama. Oh, yeah. Which was actually a better Star Trek 30-minute production than this whole movie was. Yeah. But, I mean, I think 
Uhura even mentions her fan dance and there's, you know, the, the energy being that is just kind of an aggressive energy being for no reason. It just, I, I kept seeing glimpses of that as I saw this movie and then just wanting to watch Futurama. That's a good point. And I'm actually reading a uh, quote or a statement from George Takei that said, even when he read the script, it felt like there was three stories that were being forced together to make one story. And it made a confusing and ultimately tiresome two hours. And I think I don't think anybody can describe the movie better than that because this movie is tiresome. You know, yeah. you can put on Wrath of Khan and legitimately enjoy almost every scene. Yeah, and the effects were good and like the puppetry in that one was really cool and the effects like like they clearly paid a lot of attention to things, did like industry best practices, made it look like a real movie, and this one was was subpar relative to the like, you know, Farpoint premiere of Next Generation that came out months later on a much worse budget. Well, and again, reading about this movie and the creation of it, like apparently Ker- or Shatner wanted to even redesign the Starfleet uniforms, but they didn't have yeah. enough money to do it. But if you think about it, the Starfleet mo- uniforms from two through six, the Monster Maroons, are like the most heralded Starfleet uniforms ever made. Yeah. It's like the one that people regard as the best looking uniform. And of course, Shatner wanted to redesign it for some reason. He did, He couldn't because there was no money. But like wardrobe, that's that's got to be one of the most minimal things on on a movie budget with these actors that have to be getting millions of dollars. How do you not have the budget to to do that? To like have new clothes made? That can't be that much. Well, and even it kind of goes back to the point of this movie feeling scatterbrained. Is why even changes uniforms? I mean, I get changing from motion picture to a new hope or to a new hope from motion picture to uh, Wrath of Khan because you get the the nice uniforms in number two. But it's like, why would you even want to? Why make it, it again? It's like, why make change just for change's sake? Yeah, especially when the bulk of the movie has nothing to do with the standard Starfleet persona of to seek out new life and new civilizations. It's all on a dust bowl and the enterprise is broken and it's a campfire and they're singing and they're going to yeah, go, some they're going to go find God some new or Vulcan something. Who's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing, the, the long arc of this movie is, is summarizable in, in one sentence, which is funny. Cause I was, as I was looking to, to download it and I paid $4 to rent this movie from iTunes, uh, wasted $4. Um, the, the, the summary for the movie was basically like the Star Trek crew goes in an effort to find God and it turns out he's an alien. It's just like, oh, okay. And then I watched the whole movie and it's like, oh yeah, that's the whole movie. Like there's no, there's no more depth to it than that. That's just what they do. And again, it kind of goes back to question. How did Cybok know there was going to be anything there anyways? The whole purpose of his adventure is to yeah. go find the how did he I mean I okay I get it I know people do crazy things all the time that's why they're crazy but the whole premise of the movie is literally one random Vulcan on the planet of intergalactic peace hoping to lure a starship there to hoping to get to the center of the universe well right he's he's a religious fanatic and basically a, a prophet of a religion 
that ends up not being a thing. So all of his like his religious zealotry and confidence and and seemingly supernatural knowledge all ends up just being these like convenient plot contrivances that don't pay off for anything but like an alien entity that's just kind of waiting to be a dick. Yes, that's exactly it. And they find quote unquote God and he's just an asshole. I mean, there's, there's almost yeah. no, the movie almost actually has no climax of a story. Well, yeah, I mean the, the amount of time that elapses between them discovering the entity that is God and finding out he's just some dick alien that you know zaps people is is like eight minutes yeah and again what's the here's the question for you what's the end result of the events of this movie occurring in the grand scheme of things compared to the other if you think about all the other movies except for one lead into something yeah, it's, it's not like getting, like reactivating that Klingon general had any impact on Klingon Federation relations. The, uh, the Romulan had virtually no impact on the story whatsoever. She was just kind of there. Uh, you know, they, they get back on their ship and fly away and God got blown up and it's like none of it. Yeah, it, nothing mattered. And I think that's, and I know. I know people can bring up that the the next generation movies are kind of similar is that they don't necessarily lead to each other, but when they're all created as unique, distinct stories, that's one thing, you know, Star Trek with the, the original series movies had created a pattern. The results of two led to three, the results of three led to four. They all interconnected five. and yeah. five. It's like, eh, just, just do shit. It's kind of almost what it feels like. And yeah. But I mean, the next gen movies like Generations and First Contact, those didn't need to. Those were like legit, like summer blockbuster movies that just had self-contained plots. Yeah. I mean, the only end result of Generations is that they had to get a new Enterprise for First Contact. Yeah. But First Contact, you know, one thing I always kind of wish Star Trek would do is the, the Borg invade, ravage half a Starfleet. But then you look at Earth and it doesn't look like anything's happened. Like doesn't people, people aren't mourning. There, there's no concern, and yeah, th- that's the problem. In Star Trek Five, there are there is no end result of the plot. There's no end result of the story. There's no climax of we find God, he's an asshole. But man, we should go back to Earth and tell everybody about this because this is huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even oh, I was gonna say even in three and four, you have like, you know, they went against Starfleet, and we're gonna see what happens with them like disobeying orders and it's like oh they brought back the the bounty and like spock is this like weird clone thing it's like what are the ramifications of all of these things they are are kind of this like next time on star trek we'll see kind of how this all plays out but uh but yeah all you get with this one is just like all right (laughs) that's that's done there's no god well and of all the star trek stuff we've ever seen and talked about I, you know, this is anecdotal. This is only me, but I've never, I haven't had a single person talk to me about like, hey, you like Star Trek? I like Star Trek too. Star Trek Five is my favorite. Yeah, I don't know why would anyone say that. I mean, five or one or like, and and I'll stand by my assertion that Star Trek Insurrection is my favorite of of the next gen movies. But you know, 
It's a good movie. Well, I'll watch Insurrection any day <laughs> over Star Trek Five. Yeah. At least I care about the yes. characters, which is I hate to say, but Star Trek Five again, they just all feel like parodies of themselves. Yeah. Like there's no depth to anyone. It's just them like they might as well just be shouting catchphrases as as deep as, as any of them are. Well, it's like Spock. He calls marshmallows marshmallows. Like, okay. Like, Greg, why are you worrying about that? That's just a stupid thing. I'm like, this is Spock, okay? We have single-handedly identified that this man can calculate going around the star at warp speed for time travel to the minute. Well, and he asserts the fact that he's half-human. He asserts the fact that he knows the classics and can, like, determine a Mieville quote from, or Melville or whatever it was, yet he doesn't know what a marshmallow is, even though he's clearly programmed some kind of handheld replicator to extrude a marshmallow. It's like, what? How do you get this wrong? You're spot. That's what I mean. Is It's a he's a character of himself. And even the whole Cyborg being his brother thing, or half brother. No, his was full brother. Again, it's almost, why even have his brother? Because if you think about it, they never, ever mention that ever again. And all the time yeah. Sarek and Spock meet each other in Next Generation, they never once bring up, man, you remember the time with your crazy half-brother or full-brother? That sucked. Yeah. It's like they don't bring that up. And it's almost like they don't bring it up on purpose because the movie is just they're trying to forget it exists. Well, Michael Burnham sure didn't talk about him. <laughs> That's a separate topic. It's her, her half-brother, too. It's definitely her half-brother also. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, there there's so many, like, Nimbus 3 itself could have been a movie if they had written it well. The the Eden planet with the space god could have been its own movie if they had written it well. But it's just like, there was like one point of, of interesting plotting they did for all of these three different story arcs that they smashed together. And, and none of them had any buildup or payoff. It was just like this plotting thing to get through these just uninteresting plot beats and just like such a waste and again i don't mind the religion type thing in star trek i think if you do it properly you can make a really a stimulating movie talking about the future of religion and starfleet and star trek and the universe as a whole and all this because the klingons are pretty religious so well kind of religious so i mean it's it's not an unheralded topic but you have to do it properly you have to do it well and this, this was not done. It's just like you said, he, they show up, He's the, they find quote-unquote God, who's not God, but he's just a big dick. Yeah. And it's like, if if this is going to be the omnipotent, all-knowing being that, it, it, like, have some guile, don't just like... And one of the other things was he zapped through both Kirk and Spock with his godlike powers to the point where they had huge singes on their chest and on their back, so the beam clearly went directly through them, but all it did was knock them down. It knocked them down, like, and the end result is a torpedo destroys them. Yeah. And I'm going to bring up a, a, a Next Generation example. Q, who was kind of a jerk to, to the crew, he messes with them all the time, he puts them in danger all the time, but the difference is Q and the actor were charming. He was funny. He yeah. had screen presence. He had a good persona around him. People enjoyed seeing him on screen. Ain't nobody saying that about Cybok or what, whoever this space entity is that they find that, you know, pretends to be a god, but obviously isn't a god and has these weird powers to knock people down, but not actually cause permanent damage. 
and gets destroyed by a torpedo and that's the end result and that's the stuff happens but again you would yeah. think legitimately they talk about what happens in Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 3 they talk about what happens in Star Trek 3 and Star Trek 4 ain't nobody bringing up the crap from Star Trek 5 in any of the other settings no I mean it's disconnected from its own world it's disconnected from its own plot arc the characters are all parodies of themselves I mean the 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 actual dialogue as it's written in that last segment with Space God is just like, how did you get here? I took a spaceship. Can I have your spaceship? What? Uh, you're not God. Arr, zap. It's, God wouldn't do this. Zap. Oh, no. It's just like, it's so un... I don't even know. There's just like no life to it. No thought. It's just it's below a first draft. It's like all placeholder text that you should like, it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll punch this up later, but this is the, the basic concept of kind of what we're getting across. But it's like, all it was, was the concept. There was no coaxing it to make it like human dialogue. It was just like, you're, you're not God. You're a jerk. Oh yeah, you're right. Give me your spaceship. And they just kept saying spaceship. It just felt so below the level of Trek to like an embarrassing degree. No, I mean, that's a good point because Trek has always been a little, the techno babble. I mean, Star Trek yeah. always has techno babble in all the movies, but the problem is that the, the babble in this movie is just babble. It's not techno. Yeah, it's, like, say, it's not smart. Say photon yeah. once. No, yeah, I mean, it's like they don't even know what they're talking about, which, again, I don't know. I don't know. It's just the movie, it's painful to watch even today. Yeah. And it's just like. My my overall reaction to this movie is like, what was the point? What what were they thinking? It's like you can't just make a throwaway movie, but they did. Well, and again, if you want to make a throwaway movie, you have to do it with grace and style that the movie can stand alone on its own. And start, you know, I don't want. I'm not going to spoil anything because we think we're going to review it soon. Star Trek Six is a good example of a movie that exists in the universe of Star Trek but doesn't necessarily follow uh, one overarching plot. It's got a, it's got a bunch of stuff happening at the same time with kind of a, like an overall goal, but it's an amazing mm. film. And Star Trek six is regarded as like the Holy Trinity of two, four and six from the original series. Is, is unders undiscovered country, right? Or undiscovered, undiscovered. Yeah. Star Trek six, the undiscovered country. Does that start with like a murder? And they're like investigating it. Not really. All right. I, I, I think I watched it once, but I have a very vague recollection of it. I know Michael Dorn plays his own ancestor, which is cool. He does, and I mean, don't get me wrong, people die in this movie, but it's not like a mystery style murder type. I think I just have a very clear uh, memory of like floating, non-red blood. Is that is that featured prominently? Yes, it is. Okay, so I have I have seen it. I just don't recall. Yeah, they had to change the color of the blood to change the uh, rating the movie got. Huh. Yeah, it's per, it's like purple blood or Pepto Bismol blood or something. It, but it's Klingon. It, it's yeah, not... it's Klingon. Oh, okay. Oh man. That's well, fun. I think we've talked about Star Trek Five enough. I'm starting to get an ulcer because <laughs> it's just again, it's one of those. You know what? I'm gonna. I, here's a word I was just thinking of. The movie feels irresponsible. 
it it doesn't pay homage to what is Star Trek, what makes Star Trek special. It doesn't pay homage to the characters people grew up in love. Yeah, it, the only thing it pays homage to is the fact that uh, Shatner is overrated. Yes, and yes he is. It's like, and I mean, you said it perfectly that he did not have enough people in his orbit telling him no. Like, clearly he is a man who thought he could do anything and proved that he cannot. Yeah, and you know what? Even to borrow your phrase, he's overrated and I love him for that. You know, I love how modern Shatner kind of parodies himself from what he used to be like. But, well, yeah, he's a campy dude. Yeah, but it didn't, like, in the, there's a movie out there called Free Enterprise that came out in, like, 98 or 99. It's basically about two Star Trek nerds that meet William Shatner in a bookstore. And that, like, changes their life. But he's, like, reading porn magazines. And it's actually <laughs> Bill Shatner. And it's funny because he's playing off on himself, all, the, all that jazz and everything. But that movie was charming and engaging. Like, I would recommend you and well, Derek and every Star Trek fan out there watch, watch Free Enterprise over Star Trek V any day. Well, and the same, same exact thing goes for that Futurama episode where uh, there's like that, that exchange with Nimoy going, and when I directed Star Trek's uh, 3 and 4, I got a great acting job out of Shatner because of how much we respect each other. <laughs> and then Shatner yep. says, and in Star Trek V, I got such a great role out of me because how much I respect myself. And it's just like... Well, yeah, now, now he knows that he's a joke, but then he was just, had, had too much power and wielded it very irresponsibly. Yes, he did. Well, that's enough for this terrible movie. It's like not even fun to talk about because there's nothing good to latch onto. It's just like a dump beginning to end. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, at least Star Trek 1, it was boring, but there's individual scenes that I enjoyed of Star Trek 1. And it was weird. It was weird. Like that was... That was the the fun thing about it. it was just so strange to see to see someone do that with a the movie. They're just like, "What are you doing? This is so bizarre." But this was just like amateur, just like mundane amateur blast. Yeah, this was just bad. <sighs> and on that note, but <laughs> well, and because so, it's quasi timely, I wanted to share a personal experience. Uh, so I've been watching through uh next gen recently because i have limited access to to entertainment and just have netflix while i've been getting settled in settled into la um and i specifically took out all of the um data and lore episodes so anything that went into either the sungs or the other androids his his mother and daughter and all that stuff and i just kind of cut those out and watched those as a separate arc uh, and getting to the very end of it was um, the first of the two-parter where Lore uh, controls all the Borgs that were freed by Hugh. Yeah, Descent 1 and, and 2. The, yeah, and, and in the first part of that, uh, Data is playing cards with Stephen Hawking, uh, R.I.P. And I was, I was like, oh, it's so weird that I just decided to watch these episodes that ended up um, being like the, the only character throughout all of Star Trek to play themselves. Stephen Hawking, like the day after he passed away. Yeah, you ain't wrong, man. And man, what a, I mean, his his like rueful smile and just like fucking with Data and it's just like a perfect <laughs> role for him. It was charming, and it's just yeah. I mean, he's charming, and he's clearly a big dork and just like living his best life. And I think that's a good way we can end this review is by saying the bulk of Star Trek 
has charming aspects to it, whether it's the characters or the things they do or the stuff they're involved with. There's nothing charming about Star Trek V. It's just <laughs> yes. there's no redeeming qualities, and it's okay to admit that, even as Star Trek fans. I know there's got to be that one person out there that's like, Star Trek V is the greatest movie ever. That's fine. There are some terrible movies I love, like Invasion USA starring Chuck Norris. It's a terrible movie, but it entertains me. Star Trek V is a bad movie that doesn't entertain me. Yeah, I mean, there are people out there with uh, a lot of head trauma that they're living with, and, uh, you know, it makes them like stuff, and, you know, it's good for them. <laughs> good for them. <laughs> well, Jeremy, welcome back to the show. We missed you, buddy. Yeah, and uh, hopefully my, my sound is good with my new mic, so I can uh, keep recording, even though I have to keep you guys up a little bit later than we're used to, since we're recording at uh, 10 p.m. your time now. Yeah, we're all, we're all good, but... Uh... Everybody, we appreciate you listening and joining us for our, our fun chat on Star Trek V, the uh, the forgotten film, and probably forgotten for a reason. But Jeremy... Yeah, I'm going to forget it pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, now that you're back, how can people find you online if they're interested? Uh, Zen Munkin on Twitter, and that's pretty much it, because uh, my cartoon podcast is currently on hiatus because I do not have a co-host to record with right now, so I am just available on red shirts and runabouts and everybody can find me as usual at the underscore bitter steel at twitter and yahoo.com so appreciate everybody joining us this week uh, red shirts and runabouts so it's good to be back we'll be back again next week and i think the topic for next week is supposed to be star trek 6 the undiscovered country which was a great mm. great film to repair the damage caused by star trek 5 yeah i'll fix these bridges fix all the bridges Recover. it's going to be a great recovery and you'll definitely enjoy the film i remember liking it i just don't remember what happened in it that's at the start my friend <laughs> all right everybody uh, all right. tune in next week and uh it was great being it's great being back and we will talk to you all then live long and prosper red shirts and runabouts is part of the heroes podcast network the show is hosted by myself gregory bosco along with jeremy munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage.